Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's trusted financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like managing finances with a partner without causing a breakup. We all know about that in my life and how hard that's been for me and also my listeners. You guys hear them talking about it on the mailbags. It is hard to manage finances with a partner. Putting away money for retirement, since I'm not going to be doing this podcast forever. Sorry, I guess I could, but retirement is huge for me. I am deeply focused on it right now and planning for my tax bills so I don't dread April every year. Taxes are a doozy and it's always changing. How do you know what to do? Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Dunn, and this is Bad With Money, a show about finances and feelings where we don't talk down to you and we give advice for people who are not in the 1%. Turns out there's more of us than there are of them. Who knew? <laughs> Today, we're going to be talking about financial literacy, a broad term and one I've thrown around a lot both on this show and in my book, Bad With Money. It's very easy to lament that we don't have enough financial literacy for young people and really for anyone in the United States. In an August 2021 article in the New York Times, reporter Ann Carnes breaks down all the new money apps that are specifically targeted towards young people, kids even. She says, these apps offer slick educational videos and tools while enabling children and teenagers to save and spend and even invest in stocks. The apps pair with plastic debit cards designed with kids and teens in mind. Which seems good, right? Oh my gosh, we're getting, you know, to kids where they're at on their phones at a young age. Carnes also writes, They've caught the attention of researchers and financial advisors who say the tools may help engage and enlighten young users, even as they worry that the apps, without close parental involvement, may encourage bad financial behavior. So, as we've said, you can teach this stuff in school, but you kind of need to learn it at home. Now, does teaching financial literacy in schools actually do anything? Again, like a lot of our guests on this show have pushed this idea. Even I have suggested that money be taught in schools. But the actual research is pretty mixed. In 2019, the Washington Post reported that personal finance courses don't actually create a change in behavior for students. 
The reporter makes this very interesting parallel to vaccines or the dangers of drug use in that giving people information, science, facts, etc. that you would think would change their behavior doesn't actually do anything to change their behavior is a very bleak point of view. That same year, CNBC made the argument that financial education and early intervention does work. Literally, the Washington Post article starts by saying they anticipate the usual annoying influx of articles promoting financial literacy education as tax season and the summer approaches, et cetera, et cetera. And then at the exact same time, the CNBC article that came out literally around the same time, I'm not joking, says about this time each year, I expect the predictable articles proclaiming that personal finance education doesn't work. The articles are literally from the same exact period of time, right? So as Oprah would say, what is the truth? Some studies say teaching middle and high schoolers, even pre-K and elementary schoolers, about personal finance topics like saving, retirement, investing, managing debt, they say that that works, right? But studies are only as relevant as they are cited. How can one even study the effectiveness of early financial education when financial situations and relevance changes so much? Generations who have gone through recessions or housing crises, they might have totally different educational needs or anxiety-related needs than someone for whom that did not change their family's economic standing. When I was writing my Bad With Money book, I visited a high school in Gage Park in Chicago, and many of the students there knew a lot about money, mostly because they were intimately aware of the financial situations of their parents. They're low-income kids, and they saw their moms and dads fight over money, pay back massive loans, whether they were medical student or otherwise— they probably know more about money than some rich kid who's like checked out in their parents' PJ. My opinion is there should be some financial literacy education offered. I really do think it probably will help. I'm not on the page of that bleak sort of letting people know the science doesn't change their behavior. I think it does. The high schoolers in my life and the ones who follow me in this show online are motivated to learn. They don't reject facts and information and change and betterment as much as most of these articles paint them to. They just need a safe space to learn it, which, hi, this show tries to be. There's also this weird element of, like, getting kids into capitalism without the foundations of empathy and community also being taught. So I want young people to have the power financial literacy affords, but I don't want that to be at the expense of also teaching them, like, socialist concepts like mutual aid or racial inequality or wage gaps or how they can do all this finance stuff with, like, some form of morality intact. Our first guest this week is Sarah Losey. I met Sarah at the podcast movement conference when she approached me with a full pitch about coming on this show. I appreciate the hustle and the nice way she introduced herself to my parents who were at the conference with me. <laughs> Sarah is a woman in her mid-20s who prior to getting a job in marketing at BFG Financial Planners had no experience with financial literacy. The job opened her eyes to just how much she didn't know. My second guest is my friend and comedian Jenny Yang, who responded to an Insta story I made asking for friends who feel particularly financially literate. Jenny replied, She was surprised as she got into her late 20s and 30s how little her peers knew about money. Mostly because she knows a lot about money. You know, have you ever wondered who it is that attends those company-wide meetings with financial planners or who asks questions about money at their company, if that isn't you? It's freaking Jenny! <laughs> But first, let's chat with Sarah Losi about how to know what we don't know.
My name is Sarah Losi, and basically what I do is just create as much financial literacy content and information as I possibly can and put it out to the public. So what is financial literacy? It is something that rarely exists, unfortunately. (laughs) It is something that I am trying to make more relevant. Financial literacy is just understanding some personal finance concepts and understanding what to do with your money, what different things mean. Yes, you can hire people to do things with your money and to handle your money for you, do your investments, do your taxes. You can hire people to do all of this stuff. But if you don't understand why they're doing it and what they're doing, you're not going to know what's going on and you could be taken advantage of. Yeah, the taking advantage of is a thing that you hear about a lot because people just trust someone and then have no concept of what is going on behind the scenes. Exactly. How often do you see that? So with the at the on the financial advising uh, side of our business, we've had people come in just to get a second opinion and say this is what was recommended to me and we just look at it like no like that's that's horrible that's the sad thing is financial advisor is a title that almost anyone that works in finance can give themselves and Mm -hmm. it just means that they are able to give you advice on your finances but it has nothing to do with their designations or their experience it's just they can do this so a lot of people who call themselves financial advisors all they do is sell a product that their company represents yeah and that product makes them commission So they're just going to say, this is what you should have because that's what their company represents. And that's not true for every advisor, absolutely. But the way that we structure our business is we make sure that all of our advisors are CFPs, which is Certified Financial Professional Practitioner. And the first rule to be a CFP is you need to be a fiduciary. So when you're looking for when you're looking for a financial advisor, make sure that it is someone who is a fiduciary because that means that your best interest has to go first at all times. It's not the best interest of the company or the advisor or making sure that you get something that makes them the most commission. It's making sure you're given advice that is the best for you. So financial literacy, like what are the things that people are missing the most? I mean, there's so many things. I think the first one would just be the importance and the value, just understanding some simple concepts. It's things that anyone can just Google and find out about, but understanding your employee benefit package is something that people Mm -hmm. overlook and they don't see the importance of. But employee benefit package is going to have basically your first investment account because that's where your retirement account is going to be. And Mm -hmm. knowing what a vesting schedule is or what your match is and Mm -hmm. concepts like that that people don't really pay attention to are things that you can easily learn and it'll save you money or help make you money in the future. Yeah. I mean, so how young do you think financial literacy should start? There was like this thing about this mom who was teaching her daughter about money like at the age of four by giving her like laminated dollars, you know, things like that. So like how young do you think you should start or can start? I mean, as young as possible. Kids are so much smarter than we give them credit for. So the CEO of our company, Eric Brotman, he started teaching his daughter the value of money when she was probably eight or nine. It was the three jar method. And he she wanted an allowance and he was like, okay, like I'll give you an allowance, but you need to work for it and you need to understand working for money and the value behind that. So they agreed on a 
age-appropriate list of chores. It was $5 a week, and it was all single-dollar bills. And they went to a craft store and bought three jars. And one jar was labeled charity, one jar was labeled long-term, and one was labeled fun. So at the end of each week, she would get these $5 bills, and the first one would go into charity, the second one would go into long-term, and then the other three could go wherever she wanted. So she got to Mm. understand the value of working for money, and then she got to understand philanthropy, because that mm-hmm. charity money, after it accumulated, they would, she got to research whatever charity she wanted to donate it to. She picked one about kids and one about animals, and mm-hmm. he matched it. So she got to understand matching. Aww. So yeah. it was a bigger contribution, and she got to donate it to that cause and see how good it felt to start a future of philanthropy. And then the long-term one, that was for her savings. So they went to the bank and opened her a savings account. And same thing, he matched it. Oh, my God. And the amazing thing was, like, you would think eight or nine years old, all those three extra dollars, they're all going to go to fun. But there was a few weeks that she was like, I have enough fun money right now. There's nothing that I want to buy right now. I'm going to put more money to charity or I'm going to put more money to long-term. So there's mm-hmm. really, like, she's nine years old and she already realized how important it is to save or, or mm-hmm. donate to a charity. So you can start as young as you want to as long as you find a way to teach it in a way that's age-appropriate. It was so funny. There's, like, a very Jewish concept. So I grew up super Jewish and – with my allowance too, like at the end of the the week, you would give, there was like on Shabbat, which is on Friday night, uh, they would get, there was like a sadaka jar and you were encouraged to like put some of it in the charity jar. You know, what you're talking about just is like kind of a, a super Jewish concept actually. I love that. Uh, that it reminded me of. So when you're working with high school or college age, what do you recommend there? So definitely the first thing, like I said, is understanding those employee benefits. If you're either at your first job or starting your first job, understanding what that package is going to have and how you can make it work for you, because it's it's more than just health insurance. It's understanding what an HSA is, an FSA, and all of those different concepts. So those are health savings accounts. Health savings accounts and flexible spending accounts. Those Mm -hmm. are two concepts that nobody seems to understand. I have so many people ask me, why do I need a health savings account when it just goes away at the end of the year? Which is, it doesn't. That's a flexible spending account. They're two very different things offered by different companies. Health savings accounts are actually a really great tool for saving for the future, It's the only place that your money will just never be taxed if you use it properly. Uh, Mm -hmm. You can put money in there the same way it goes into your 401k. It goes in before it's taxed straight out of your paycheck. And if you Mm -hmm. use it for health-related spending, it doesn't get taxed again. But so many people don't know that you can invest that amount so it can actually grow. And it's still tax-deferred. Whatever you take out won't be taxed either. And it's been investing and growing for your whole career. And then you could take it out in your retirement when your health spending is going to be a lot more than it is when you're young and you just have that whole nest egg of money untaxed that you can use at your disposal. People have never heard of this. Never. I've brought this up a few times. They've never heard of we this. We have done podcast episodes on this. I've written blogs about this. I have been trying to get this to stick with people. Mm-hmm. Like this is a tool that you can use and no one seems to understand. They still think, oh no, it just goes away at the end of the year. That is a flexible spending account. It's so different. So flexible spending account, 
is money that you put away and you should use it by the end of the yeah, year. Yeah, so a flexible spending account, it's, it's taken the same way that you don't have to pay taxes on it. And at the end of the year, it's basically use it or lose it. So if you don't use it by the end of that year, it goes away. And those, they're a good tool, they're not for everybody. And after that, after understanding those employee benefits, understanding budgeting and record keeping, understand how much you're bringing in because you need to be living hopefully below your means, if not at it. Another thing that we try to explain to people is that building wealth does not start with what your income level is. You can have a high salary and spend every dime and not build anything, or you can have a modest salary and live below your means and start building wealth. It's not about your salary, it's about your behavior. So let's say like high school, what can they do in high school? Let's say you're like a high school freshman. Something that people don't often know is that you can open a Roth IRA for a minor. A parent can go open it for their child. And as long as that child has an income, they can start putting into a retirement account. The best thing when it comes to like saving money for the future, the best thing that you can have is time. Mm-hmm. Like the whole concept of compounding interest and how money builds on top of money. And if you start saving for retirement as early as possible, you will without a doubt be better off just because you have that extra time. Mm-hmm. And so a parent can go and open a Roth IRA for their kid. And if that kid has an income, they're eligible to contribute to that account. And Roth IRA, for those who don't know, it's an independent retirement account that the money that you put in has already been subject to tax. So when you take it out later, you don't have to pay income tax on it again. It's already been taxed, Mm -hmm. which is different from the traditional, which you put it in before tax and it's taxed later when you take it out. So if a parent wants to open one of these accounts, their kid has a summer job mowing lawns, they make $1,000 that summer, if the parent has the ability, and not every family is blessed to be able to make these kind of decisions for their kids, but they can actually course, take yeah. their own $1,000 and put it in this account, let their kid keep that money and put it towards whatever they want. But because they had that income, they are eligible to put that amount into the account. So the parent can actually contribute on their kid's behalf mm-hmm. and start building that nest egg for the future Should this be in schools? Should this be something that, yeah. So financial literacy, probably nine times out of 10, is not taught in schools. Right. Uh, So I have been with my company for about two years now. And when I started, they were my client for a couple years. I worked in marketing. And I would hear the CEO going on podcasts and going on webinars and talking about how this isn't taught in schools. And one of the main reasons is that teachers don't know this either because they weren't mm-hmm. taught in schools and it's just become this vicious cycle of nobody is is qualified to teach it so nobody teaches it so one of the things i said i think on day one at my company was hi we are qualified to teach this we need to do it yeah we have a free online course aimed at junior high high school kids early adults that's why we created it because i was like we need to get mm-hmm. this information out somewhere and if schools aren't going to teach it we need someone who will Yeah, you're right. It's a cycle. Mm -hmm. I think it's on purpose. I think it's so that people don't realize like what they can, you know, because then God forbid we have economic mobility in this country. Nobody wants that. Who wants that? 
Uh, so I think it's like very, you know, I think it's very on purpose. Yeah. When you guys say on your website, financial planning for all, what does that mean? Like in terms of race, gender, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah, I love that you asked that. If anyone has ever heard of financial advising and financial planning, the biggest misconception is that it's just for the rich. And mm-hmm. financial advising, like only financial advisors are for people who have finances to advise on. And mm-hmm. for the longest time, that was true because advising firms have steep asset minimums. And if you don't have 600000 a million dollars, sometimes like $5 million, they're not going to talk to you. They're not even going to look at you. Right. Because asset minimums. Asset minimums. Financial planning for all is making financial planning accessible to just the regular family or the the up-and-comers, the people who don't meet that asset minimums but are still making money and have the potential to build great wealth. What do you do? Like, what do you do if you don't have the asset minimum? So by creating this financial planning for all program, we split our company into two. And we have the private wealth management that works with those clients that are already there. But then we have the financial planning side that does not have an asset minimum. Mm-hmm. We'll work with anybody. You can come in and not have any assets to manage. We don't need to manage your assets to create a financial plan for you. At the same time, that's still not going to be affordable for every family. We do still have to set a fee. And it's mm-hmm. a modest fee, but it might not be affordable to everybody. So that's why we have Brotman Media Group, which puts out free and inexpensive content for anybody else. What is one small thing that someone could do like right now? Right now, take an inventory. Mm. Look at what you have. Look at where you are. If if you have debts, what are they? Mm-hmm. If you have savings, how much do you have? Do you have an emergency fund? If you were to lose your job tomorrow, would you be able to pay your rent on the first of the next month? Just take an inventory and figure out where you are and if you don't know where you are how are you going to know where you're going to go or how you're going to get there so you need to take that inventory sit down and just kind of figure it out and we have some tools to help do that um, if anybody wants them uh, brotmanmedia.com has all of our resources and our book don't retire graduate it's the same name as our podcast that actually has basically a step-by-step guide for creating your financial freedom plan it's everything Mm -hmm. you need to do if you can't afford to or don't want to work with an advisor basically just take this guide and do it yourself and the first thing that it tells you to do is take that inventory it's step one where can people find you and and more about you uh so you can find me all over social media my uh twitter and instagram are at underscore sarah losi you can find all of our resources at uh, brotmanmedia.com. We have those online courses at uh, bfguniversity.com. And we actually did make a coupon code for your audience specifically. If they want to get the uh, personal finance online course that goes along with the book, it will come with the book as well. It'll come with the workbook and all of these special tools. They can use the code uh, badwithmoney and that'll save them $20 off of that course. Ooh, I love a coupon code. And now we're going to have a fun and informative conversation with comedian Jenny Yang about how the hell she became so financially literate despite all the odds. Oh, gosh. Uh, My name is Jenny Yang. Why did you respond 
to my DM? Like, what made you be like, this is me? Because as I've grown into my young adulthood and beyond, I realized when I shared notes with my friends that they often didn't know some stuff that I was taught early on. You know what I mean? Like just like basic stuff that I was told was basic, but I didn't realize it actually gave me a huge leg up when it came to like how I looked at my finances and what I needed to be learning about. You know what I mean? It just as one strategy for how to sort of feel a sense of financial security. So when did you start learning about this stuff and like how? Well, I mean, obviously in the home, that's going to influence who we are. But if I were to actually think about like true aha moment where I was like, ooh, financial advice, that's a thing, (laughs) you know? The first time that happened was I was 21, fresh out of college, my first full-time job. I was at a nonprofit that was all about leadership development. And part of what they did was they also work with corporate people. And there was just something about the culture of the nonprofit that as a part of the perk of working there, they always ensured that whoever is an employee had a once a year free consultation with a certified financial planner. I didn't even know that was a thing. Right. And so just think about it. You're 21. You're introduced to this thing that you didn't know you didn't know. Right. Like we're barely thinking about credit cards at that point. Mm -hmm. Right. Most people, you know, that was a game changer because number one, I had this person, which, you know, obviously you need to like be someone who trusts people in authority. And I know not a lot of, (laughs) not a lot of people do. Right. But for me at 21, I was like, Ooh, this person's a nice person, certified financial planner. We're sitting down. I'm explaining what's my income coming in and what's my expenses going out. And at 21, I was living at my parents' house and Mm -hmm. we have this financial planner, Steve, shout out to Steve, who was like, you're great. Don't worry about it. Are you kidding me? Because I go, I don't have a budget. I just kind of know I don't spend that much compared to what my income is. And at that mm-hmm. time, my income was like 32000 a year, right. you know, with benefits. Entry level. Yeah. yeah. And so and so I that made me feel better. Like it gave me a level of security knowing that there's number one, different ways of approaching what it means to manage your finances. So was it, I had this idea like, oh, I need to like line item budget everything when Mm -hmm. actually my life was very simple, you know? And I didn't at that point have student loans, which I know is a completely different ball game for other people. Oh, wow. Why didn't you have student loans? I was on like free lunch and my parents were low income. And so I went to, I chose a college, Swarthmore College, that is so rich that they were able to pay for a majority of my cost of room and board, because it's a mostly residential, small liberal arts college, from grants and work study. Wow. We were able to pay. My dad, literally, it was like, they they promise ability to pay as what mm-hmm. you pay. Like, that's their formula. Does that Whoa. make sense? Yeah. yeah. And so m- the ability to pay from the Yang family at the time was $8,000 a year. And so for a fancy ass room and board, high quality, world-class education, I paid $8,000 a year, part of which was made up by work study. Swarthmore College. Wow. So, so, you knew, so you knew enough to be like, I need to go to a school that is not going to break the bank yes. because your parents had said that to you. Like they were honest with you and open with you about it. Yes, that helped. Also, because I was the first one in my family, I have two much older brothers who arrived here from Taiwan at the same time as me, but they just were much older. They were like freshman year of high school, not knowing English, and they did not do well in school. 
I, from an early age, had to navigate paperwork, English mm-hmm. stuff, translate for the family. And so I was the first one to go to a four-year university of my family, and I had to navigate that. I did all the research. I went to the library. So I already had that attitude of like, I need to know these adult things, and I'm going to read it, and I think hopefully that'll teach me things. Um, I filled out my own FAFSA. I had to do of all course. of that. Yeah, I hear that a lot from children of immigrants who yeah. are like, I, I had to read my own FAFSA. <laughs> I had to be the one to translate like what this, you know, to my parents who were like, I don't, what is this form? I don't know. Yeah. And it kind of, you have to grow up a little bit. You have to parentalize yourself a bit. For sure. And so I would say the the, the financial advisor was very key at 21. But even before that, I had a very critical guidance counselor in high school who said, you're a very good student. Did you know you don't have to go to a UC school? You're, you're going to get into UCLA or Berkeley. You might have to pay less if you go to a fancy liberal arts college or a private university. So I went to a big public high school that where everyone was like, UCLA or bus. That's like the dream, Mm -hmm. Berkeley. But I got into those schools. But there was a part of me that knew that there was another experience that I could have and that financially I don't have to be a burden on my family and that it would be a good education. Wow. So that's how critical like one teacher, one guidance counselor, one like certified financial planner at a certain age. Critical. Critical. So what kind of things were you noticing that your friends didn't know that you knew? Oh, my God. Very early on, I was shocked by how much people got into credit card debt. Really? Shocked. I was shocked because I didn't talk about money with my friends, number one. And so Mm -hmm. once it finally came up, it like I, you know, you know, I feel like it's like, I don't know if you have this experience, but like when you're raised in your family, like the way that you're parented or like the culture of your household, I thought that's how the world worked, like as a child, right? Mm -hmm. And then you like share notes with your friend, you go to your friend's house and you're like, oh my God, they can eat so many like packs of Oreos. (laughs) They have gummy bears. You're like open their snack closet. You're (laughs) like, what the, what have I been missing out on? This is blowing my mind. Yeah, exactly. This is, you live different. You live different. How do you live differently? I thought the world was just my world. And so yeah. I feel like that's how it felt when I kind of started to share notes with my friends, like in college or in my, my early 20s. Like, how are you managing to pay rent? Or how do you, do you negotiate a salary? You know, all of these things. And so, but credit cards, 100%, just, you know, just learning about how people just had a different attitude about their ability to spend because they felt the power of their credit limit. And I never saw it that way. It was always this, like, I think put in me because of fear, probably. Mm-hmm. Are you just like a frugal person in general? Yes. Okay. The Yang family is so frugal. I never had an allowance. People would be like, you got straight A's. You didn't get, you didn't get like rewarded for that with money. Money for that? Yeah. Neither no, I didn't. No, 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 no. Okay. I do my chores. I get my A's. That is, that is the cost of admission. Okay, that's that's how you're allowed to stay here. So then what else kind of has surprised you? What else have you seen as gaps in financial literacy? Even though my mom was a garment worker, my dad had a middle class job. When he retired, he topped out in the 90s, like $67,000, maybe $75,000 a year, which is considered middle class, even though for Mm -hmm. some people that's not a lot, you know, but it allowed us to not have a lot of extra spending money because his philosophy was to save everything and pay for a house. But because he saved so hard, he was able to give me $20,000 to set me up as a 21-year-old. And I saved that. I didn't touch it. Now, 
any other person who's 21 or 25 is when he gave it to me, might have used that in some way. I saved mm-hmm. it because in my head, saving is easier than worrying about spending money. Spending money on things felt like nerve wracking. You know, that's the downside mm-hmm. of how I was raised, right? And so it was a process of like letting me be like, oh, maybe I can pay for things that are like more expensive because it's valuable. And, and mm-hmm. But in my head, I knew that was going to be a down payment on a house. That has to be a down payment. You knew that at 25. Yeah. And because that nonprofit is an Asian American nonprofit run by Japanese Americans who worked in corporate America somewhat doing leadership training as well as community organizations, they had a relatively conservative financial outlook with the financial planner and all of that and of like how they right. spend stuff. And, and so I think I learned a little from that of like, oh, like this is how they build wealth. These are people who lived in really nice houses. And so I think exposure to that too was like, oh, like that's probably a smart way to go to save money for that. So when you got that 20K, did you put it into a like savings account or did you invest it? Yeah, I did put it into a savings account for a hot minute. I did continue to work with that financial planner and was like, these are my goals. And so he educated me a little more in my like early mid twenties and was just, you just like, like knew your goals. You were just like, here are my goals here. Are what I, here's what I want. He said, he said, you know, we, we had access from that nonprofit that I worked at to invest in a 4013 B, yeah. which is a, like a nonprofit version of a 401k for retirement. I'm 23. Why would I care about a retirement? But right. the way that they presented and he gave us like a sort of overview workshop for the whole staff, in addition to the personal counseling, was like, this is how the market works. It goes up and down, but it trends up. You can make a certain percentage. If you want to be more risky, you can invest it in these things. If you want to be less risky, you can invest. Like he gave a full overview. What are index funds? Wow. You know, there's like- And base. you paid attention. You said, this is important. Let me yeah. pay attention to yeah. it. Yeah, I can't tune out if like an adult in a position of authority talks to me because they'll probably teach me something that's going to be useful because I know my parents aren't going to teach me. Right. How are your finances structured now as like a, you're more of a freelancer? Of course. Yeah. So- you know, just to give like people a sense, like I took that 20,000, I saved some of it. Every year I learned that I can, at a tax benefit, I could pre-tax donate, donate or invest mm-hmm. a certain amount allowed by the government to into a retirement fund. So for a while I was doing that. I was like, oh, this is free money, so to speak. And that's going to mm-hmm. add to my retirement savings. Since then, that 20, I saved money working for the labor union before I became a comedian to have maybe 80000 That became a down payment on a condo. I bought a tiny condo in Highland Park. Wow. And that's 11 years ago. It's more than doubled. Okay. I bought it at like one sixty-five. Right. Because Highland Park has been gentrified. This is in Los Angeles. I know. I know. I know. I'm a gentrifier probably because I'm <laughs> upwardly mobile. You know what I mean? I wasn't making a lot of money at the time, but... So the 80K came from saving more yes. and, also, and also investing? Not really investing. I've never been very risky with investing. It's just saving and not you spending money. You are the money. safest person I've ever talked to on this podcast. <laughs> yeah. You're just like, I do my little work and I put my little money away and I do my I little don't work. Spend, I don't spend more than I make. It, it literally, that's my main thing. Like how? What do you mean? Like, do you budget now? No, not really. I should. What do you like? Do Are you able to do fun stuff? <laughs> Like, do you go anywhere or like do anything? I do live a life where everything fun is also kind of work. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm a recovering workaholic. You know what I mean? 
I am in a position where I can go on vacation. I mean, you know, what I'll do is if I have to do something for work, I'll like extend some time in an area and just like hang Mm -hmm. out. So I do do a lot of that. So I get to have fun. Yeah. I get to spend money on fun stuff. Yeah. Eat out a lot. I really like food. It really just depends on what makes you happy, you know? Right. Focusing. We hear that so much on this show. Like focus the money in on what you actually care about. If you care about travel, if you care about, you know, makeup and stuff like that. Exactly. Damn. You are the most financially literate person. You're correct. (laughs) Do you still like talk to people and they are just in such a worse place and you are like, oh, wow, I really know a lot more than the average person? I think so. I still see that. I think the thing that I'm more surprised by is how people feel not as anxious as I would be if I was in their position. Well, yeah, I think there's like a big thing of like, it's too much. Like at this point, it's too much to learn and like whatever. This is just reality. I'm still alive. Exactly. I feel like there's probably, which is a good lesson. It's like, you know, it's money is imaginary, honestly. You know what I mean? And like paper is weird what is paper yeah truly in the end if we really just like zoom out you know (laughs) and so yeah it's just really important I think it's like I think the takeaway kind of is like it's super tedious to become financially literate it's so much work it's so much paperwork it's so much reading it's so tedious but it's like a thing that kind of has to be done and like I talk about this all the time that like when I first started getting things together, getting the paperwork together, looking at my bank accounts and stuff, I cried every every time. Every time I would open a thing, I would cry. Every so time stressful. I would open a ma- something from the mail, I would cry. Yes. Every single time. But I was like, Re- you have to read it. You have yes. to sit and read it. You'll <laughs> cry the whole time, but you have to read it. And like, I think it's like really, it's showing, your story is like showing how important it is for there to be someone at the high school level, at the college level, who is saying these things to yeah. you. Or else every time you see something that's financial or has money involved, it can be super stressful. I feel yeah. like there's also this element of like, this is like eating your vegetables or just having a high tolerance for pain. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's like, it's still emotionally really heavy sometimes for whatever reason. I've had interventions from people who are who knew more than me mm-hmm. who could reassure me just a little bit so that my, you know, lizard brain limbic system mm-hmm. didn't freak out. Wow. I mean, I still freaked out. Trust me. I cried a lot when my I couldn't figure out what was wrong with my LLC. And oh. and I was like, we, like, I didn't know I didn't file certain taxes. It was really stressful. Well, that thank you so much for coming on the show. You're so surprised. I love how blown away. You're like, you never knew any of this about me. I can see it no. in your face. You're like, you're almost speechless. <laughs> I didn't know anything, any of this about you. But you know what? It's been interesting because I've been interviewing people I know on, on the show as well as experts. And like people will be like, I'm an expert at this thing. Like friends of mine. Or they'll be like, I do this. I do that. And I, like the fact that like. Do you know Anna Akana? Yes. She came on this show and she was like literally a stock market whiz. And I was like, how has this never come up? But it's like, that's the message of this show, honestly, is that like, if you just open the door to your friend to be like, hey, does anybody here really good at finances? Like four or five people will be like me. And it's just like, everyone is, everyone has different knowledge bases around you and people just don't take advantage of it. Yeah. And I mean, I, I I totally agree with that. One thing that did occur to me too that was a very fundamental shift is I grew up 
um, working for the labor movement, calling myself a socialist. And mm-hmm. 100% what I'm doing right now is being a full-on capitalist. And I mm-hmm. think sometimes we have to square that for ourselves. I know, it's hard. In terms of like, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I'm a gentrifier. I am, you know, completely eyeball deep in capitalistic investment Mm -hmm. beyond use value practices. And I just wanted to mention that too, because I think that is an emotional journey as well. There's a lot. There's a lot of like discourse around landlords and discourse around, you know, like it's, it's definitely hard to square sometimes those things. And, and like, you just have to do your best to not be a bad person and to not, immediately just do what the other people in that class around you are doing. Yes. But to actually be like, okay, wait, like, let me look at like what way to do this squares with what I feel is moral. So it comes at you fast, (laughs) but you do need to like take a second and be like, okay, am I, am I being what I criticized in the past? That kind of thing. For sure. Where can people find out more about you and your work? I'm always online at JennyYang.tv. That's my website. But at, at JennyYangTV on Twitter and Instagram is where I live mostly. If I if I figure it out, I might get on TikTok. I'm, I'm having a good time over there. Hot take from me, Gabby Dunn, king of hot takes. I think financial literacy is important for young people, but I think it can only be taught if we are also teaching that children are part of a community. That getting rich on your own is not the only goal. And it is not the way to become a good, worthy person. That it is not something to hoard. Financial literacy cannot be the only part of a young person's money education. And I don't think it can be a one-size-fits-all program implemented across the country at least in my opinion as an American. There needs to be context, patience, and nuance that could maybe come from other people in a young person's life stepping in to help, the same way Jenny was guided. If you're a parent listening, now is the time to start with your own child. The basics work. But empathy and responsibility to each other should be part of financial literacy, in my opinion. What do you think? Email me at gabbyisbadwithmoney at gmail.com. Did you have financial ed in school? Did you have financial ed from your parents? Did it make any difference? Which of the studies are true? You can also call us at 844-474-4040 and leave a voicemail telling me the same thing. I'm just very curious if you had it in your school and if it worked for you. Let me know. Bye. Done. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.